goal differential and last place in the Eastern Conference. That is how Inter Miami has started the 2022 MLS season. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Miami Total Football Radio. As you know it, Miami Total Football Radio, the number one podcast on all things Inter Miami. We provide you with all the latest news, updates, inside information, analysis, opinions, and more. I said analysis correct this go around. My name is Franco Panizo. I am one of the co-hosts of this podcast. Joining me is Jose Cinco Armando. Once again, we are recording very early this week because I am off to South America for the CONMEBOL World Cup qualifiers that are happening in this FIFA international window. So yes, we are recording very, very early. Jose, how are you? How has your weekend been? Inter-Miami result aside. Well, a lot of work over the weekend, but, you know, excited that the Miami Open is starting this week. You know, it's it's one of the t- t- top tournaments in, in tennis. So I'm looking forward to covering the tournament again. I was not able to be there last year because of the pandemic 2020. We didn't have a tournament. So um, I'm going back to Crandon Park. No, I'm sorry. I wished I, w- I would be going back to Crandon Park. I'm going back to Hard Rock Stadium. Um, to watch some tennis, professional tennis. No Roger Federer or Novak Djokovic, but Rafa Nadal is here. So very excited about that. You know, a lot of work, but, you know, it, it's exciting. It's it's something different. It's better to be busy than not busy at all, huh? Yes. <laughs> but I do wish, again, I wish, I wish the tournament, you know, just just taking that drive um, on your way to Crandon Park. I don't know if you if you went to that tournament at, at some point, but you know it was just a beautiful venue. It was too small for players and and for the tournament as a whole, but it was beautiful to go there every single day. So I'm just wishing that sometime we can go back to Crandon Park. But for now, Hard Rock Stadium will do. Although a lot of construction around with the Formula One thing as well. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But but very excited. I did see some of your pictures that you posted uh, with regards to that. I thought it was a very interesting layout that they had going on there. But any anyway, look, if, if I sound a little bit somber this week or I sound not as energetic as I normally do, it's because the state of Inter-Miami is not a very good one. And we're going to dive into that. Of course, we're going to touch on their most recent defeat, a 3-1 loss on the road to FC Cincinnati. But we're also going to touch on the overall state of the team, the outlook going forward past this international window. They'll have two weeks to work on things, so we'll touch on that. We'll also touch on just the overall losing reputation that Inter-Miami is establishing. And there are numbers to back it up. I mean, if you've been following the team since the 20 campaign, you know very well of the team's struggle. So we'll dive into a little bit of that as well because there is a... a a malaise and there are other things that are being impacted by the team's lack of wins that I think we need to start touching on in a little bit more detail. So we'll do all that. We also have an interview that we are going to share with you with Noah Allen. It's from a couple of weeks ago when when he signed his MLS deal. I'll explain it all a little bit more later on in the show, but we touch on a number of different things from you know, him signing with the team, what it means to him, how he handles the hype that, that comes with being a youngster and signing your first professional deal, as well as what his future goals are. So we will do all that and we will answer, of course, your questions in our beloved, beloved Q&A session at the very, very end. Jose, are you ready? 
I am ready. Let's do it. <laughs> you sound more energetic than I do, my friend. All right. Let's get to it. All right, Jose. So as I mentioned before, Inter Miami went on the road to take on FC Cincinnati, which has been historically bad in its short time in MLS. But the home side picks up a 3-1 win over Inter Miami. Goals from Ronald Matarita in the 18th minute, as well as from Brandon Vasquez in the 24th and 82nd. Inter Miami's lone strike came at the half-hour mark from the penalty spot via Gonzalo Higuain's right foot. So FC Cincinnati took an early lead in this one. Inter Miami made it interesting for a little bit, but by and large, I thought Inter Miami was was outplayed. But again, we'll, we'll dive into all of that in just a second. This was Inter Miami's starting lineup. They came out in that 4-4-2. Drake Callender got the surprise start in goal, and that was due to a right quad injury that Clement Diop suffered. So Diop was out. Drake Callender made his Inter-Miami debut, his official Inter-Miami debut. Your backline from right to left were DeAndre Yedlin, or was DeAndre Yedlin, Damian Lowe, Christopher McVeigh, and Kieran Gibbs making his first start of the season. The midfield four from right to left were Gene Mota, Gregory, Mo Adams, and Robert Taylor. And up top, you had Leonardo Campana and Gonzalo Higuain as the forward tandem. We've already touched on the goal scorers. So, Jose, what were your or what was your biggest takeaway from this match? What was the the one thing that sobresalió over everything else that that was the number one thing that you would talk about from this game? Because we can talk about a lot, and we will. But the number yes. one thing you took away from this game, uh, the number one thing for me is the fact that the team was not able to respond in the second half. Um, I I think that you know. Um, the team is still struggling mentally. I don't know if there's uh, there's no confidence. I think we can all agree on that. There's no confidence within the team. But, you know, the leadership is, is still not, I think it's probably developing still. We know that Gonzalo Higuain is supposed to be the, uh, the number one guy and, and the one that needs to carry over the, the next of the, the rest of the team. I'm sorry. But I, I just don't see that, that response from the team to to in a scenario that that was pretty clear to me in the game against Cincinnati. And it is that, you know, late in the sec in the first half, uh, Matarrita commits a penalty that brings them back into the game. You know, they, they, they did carry some momentum. They, they, I think they were a little bit better at the end of the first half, but when the moment came for Phil to talk to his players at halftime and let them know that they can actually tie and win this game, um, they that that he, that was the time for him to let them to believe that they can be, be they can be better in the second half and they can actually win on the road. They have been able to do that before, um, and that that was not there. With so a different that, team, though. With a different away. team. This is a different team. Yeah, but still, as a coach, you know, you 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 want to pick up on the momentum that you had late in the first half, and so they were not able to do that. Um, you know, you can see that after Iwain scored a penalty, uh, the level of play for Cincinnati, the energy came down a little bit. Remember, they are a work in progress as well. You know, they are getting better, but they are a work in progress. So there was some doubt from Cincinnati, even though they, they were playing at home. But Inter-Miami was not able to capitalize. And I think that's the one thing that's the takeaway. And that's actually something that's concerning to me. So for me, the biggest takeaway was how poor the team looked in general. Because I, I agree that there was a lack of reaction from the team in the second half. It was two to one at that point. They were only within, a, you know, they were within a goal, goals reach of tying the game, and you just did not see them react. 
That doesn't mean they gave up and put their heads down, but from a soccer standpoint, from a football standpoint, you just didn't see them react and offer anything different than you saw towards the end of the first half, which was which is concerning. But for me, just the overall performance from start to finish, I think that that is a concern. I think that's a, a red flag as, as the team heads into the international break. And I think that, to me, was the biggest takeaway because... Yes, FC Cincinnati had just beaten Orlando. FC Cincinnati had confidence. FC Cincinnati was at home. But it's still, you know, with all due respect, FC Cincinnati. It's still FC Cincinnati. One of the worst teams over the last few years in the Eastern Conference. And Inter-Miami barely put up a fight. And look, if FC Cincinnati, to me, did not play great. They had, they had their moments, and Inter-Miami made them look pretty good. But I don't think they played great. I think... F- if, if FC Cincinnati had played another team, the other team ties that game. Because FC, oh, FC Cincinnati yeah. was trying to shoot itself in the foot. Uh, unintentionally, but it was trying to shoot itself in the foot. It's up 2-0 comfortably. It gives up a penalty kick needlessly. And it's a 2-1 game at that point. In the second half, yeah. FC Cincinnati is given a penalty kick. Damian Lowe wipes out, uh, I believe it was Brandon Vasquez, I think. And FC Cincinnati has a chance to pull the game away. Or, or, or push the lead to 3-1. And Luciano Acosta, Lucho Acosta, pushes the penalty kick wide of the frame. Doesn't finish it. Still 2-1 to one at that point. Still 2-1. to one. They try to shoot themselves in the foot multiple times. But Inter-Miami just didn't have the quality to find that equalizer and make it 2-2. Two to two. Another team, a better team, capitalizes on FC Cincinnati mis- Cincinnati's mistakes and either gets a point from that or all three. But Inter-Miami is just that poor right now is that bad even against a team that is shooting itself in the foot they can't find a way to to get something out of that so i share your concerns but to me just the overall performance against a team that again was good on the day but not amazing not great that was there for the taking there was a game that was there for the taking the inter miami did not perform well that is concerning to me and and they and they and to that point you know they, they didn't have a good performance and you know, in Inter terms Miami. of consistency, Inter Inter, yeah, Inter Miami. In terms of, of of consistency, it's something that it's very hard to ask from Inter Miami, and not from this year, but you know, from from the past two seasons, consistency has not been there. But you know, at times we have seen Inter Miami teams have twenty twenty five minutes in which you know you start thinking you're watching another team. They're doing things really well. They either defend well or they play good on the attack. This time around, you know, I kept waiting for, you know, when is it that this team is going to wake up and play 10 good minutes out of the full 90? We have a second half. You have plenty of options to, to get back in the game, plenty of time. And and not, there was nothing there. There was nothing there. And that's why that's concerning to me, because you would expect the team to respond after dropping the game against Austin 5-1. to one. You would expect something else going at home. Okay, you're playing LAFC. You're playing at 130. You drop that game as well. You have an excuse. But, you know, same thing happened against against Cincinnati. And then the second half, you get basically another opportunity within the game. And still, there's nothing going on. There's no sense of urgency shown from this team right now. And, and that's the one thing that is so concerning to me. Because it's this. This doesn't change when you flip a switch and you're okay. Sense of urgency on. No, that's not how. That's not how it works. So, you know, that's why I'm I'm concerned about this. And and hopefully, you know, this is the time where Phil actually gets to talk to the players, show them some video, and and let them know that 
other than playing good football, they have to believe. They have to believe that they can actually overcome the difficulties that are, you know, this is going to happen in the start of the season. This will happen throughout the entire regular season. They're going to have uh, ups and downs, but mentally, you know, it's it's a thing that they haven't been able to overcome as of right now. Now, I, I want to ask you a question about the tactics and the game plan because clearly it did not work. And it's not what was the game plan to well, start exactly. So, so that's what I want to dive into. And it, look, you can lose a game, and the game plan could could have been there. You could have seen it, and it just didn't play out on the day. The other team, te superó. The other team was just better than you in implementing their game plan. But I don't know what Inter Miami's game plan was. And if you look at yeah. the if you look at the stats, Inter Miami finished with better possession, fifty one to forty nine. But in terms of shots, Inter Miami had two on target in the entire game. The first one is the Gonzalo Higuain penalty kick that, again, pretty much came out of nothing. Pretty much came out of nothing. FC Cincinnati, again, was practically trying to shoot itself in the foot. But, okay, scores it 2-1. to one. That's the first shot on target. The second shot on target doesn't come until late, late, late in the second half from Gregory. It's a shot to the near post, uh, a weak shot to the near post, and it's kick saved by Alec Khan. Two shots on target, not good enough. This team has scored... Two goals in four matches. That's concerning. We will touch on that in a second. But obviously, the game plan to me left a lot to be desired. And I went on Twitter earlier today on Sunday after rewatching the game again. And the first goal that Inter Miami concedes, now we're talking on the defensive side, not the attacking side, but the first goal that Inter Miami concedes in the 19th minute or the 18th minute is very, very eyebrow raising. Because you saw a very disjointed team. Inter-Miami on the play. And again, you can see visual images of this on my Twitter handle, at Franco Panizo, if you're curious to to just see visual representation. Inter-Miami on the play. It's an FC Cincinnati goal kick. Inter-Miami has four players in advanced positions to to prevent a short build-out. Or to have players in positions to to at least press in case FC Cincinnati does a short build-out on the goal kick. Those four players were... From right to left, Gene Mota, Leonardo Campana, Gonzalo Higuain, and Robert Taylor. Alakan quickly surveys the field and sees that, okay, Inter Miami's trying to, to press and close close out this, this short option. And he finds Alvis Powell, the right back, wide open on the right side. Because Inter, former Inter Miami player. Former Inter Miami player. Because the rest of Inter Miami's team, well, I won't even say that the rest of it, the back line was far, far, far removed and in much deeper positions then those front four from Inter Miami. So there was this huge space in the middle of the field where FC Cincinnati could just play the ball, and that's what they did. Alakon goes to Alvis Powell. Alvis Powell just heads it onto the middle, past uh, Gregory and past Mo Adams. And just like that, FC Cincinnati is through the midfield line. They pass, bypass the midfield line, and they're through in onto the back line. Inter Miami's defense starts retreating, as they should, because they're, they're coming under pressure. And... Uh, Luciano Acosta gets the ball. He plays it out wide to Brandon Vasquez. And Brandon Vasquez... Brand, it was a good ball. Brandon Vasquez is there on the right side, not in a scoring position, but... And Inter Miami, to note, has a 6v5 numerical advantage in terms of the players that they yeah. had against FC Cincinnati's players. But the problem is that Brandon Vasquez finds a wide-open Ronald Materita at the other side of the penalty area. And he feeds him with a nice low ball that gets right to Matarita, and Matarita puts it into the back of the net with a clean, 
one-time finish. Very clinical from the left fullback of FC Cincinnati. Now, why was he so wide open? Because Gene Mota, who was the right midfielder in this game, he was pushing very high initially on the goal kick, and he never got back, and he did not get back in, in time enough to put that fire out or to help put that fire out. Because if he's there, he at least forces a, a, more, a less comfortable shot from, from Atarita, or he makes him make another decision. Or he, or he cuts off well, the pass completely, but he's not there. And so people will point at the defense and say, oh, they gave up a goal, but, but it's not. The, the breakdown came much earlier. It came down. It came on the other end of the field on the goal kick because you had four players pressing. You had the two central midfielders, okay, not too far behind them, not too far behind them, but then you had the defense nowhere to be seen. The defense was yards and yards and yards away. Inter-Miami's as a team, as a team on that sequence, was stretched and not compact and tight and close together, which is right. what they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be tight and compact and close together. And that is something you work on during the week. That is what you work on Monday through Friday, trying to be compact, trying to get the movement synchronized, trying to be on the same page. This is a young team, so maybe certain players didn't understand the assignment. It's part of the, the learning curve, maybe. But that, to me, is, is a coaching error. That, to me, is a mistake from Phil Neville and his coaching staff because... A team should not be stretched so far apart. A team should not have players that are just not on the same page. If it was one player, okay, that can happen. Two players, okay, that can happen. But when you have complete lines that just aren't on the same page, that to me is a tactical issue. I don't know if you agree. We have not talked about that yet. I would say a couple of things about this. Um, I do agree with you that it's not a good look. You know, I think I like your analysis a lot on Twitter. Um, I think it's it's not a good look defensively for the team. Um, I would give a little bit of more credit to to Cincinnati as well because they were able to move the ball a lot faster. You know, they 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 were uh, precise with their passes. They knew exactly what they wanted to do. They ran into space. They moved well without the ball, and those are things that create trouble for defenders normally. So I'll give a little bit of credit as well to Cincinnati. Good balls, you know, a good pass. There are two things to me that. Inter Miami should have taken taken care of, you know, the cross from Brandon Vasquez on the right side all the way to the left. If you count the numbers of pink jerseys inside the box, and nobody could even get close to the ball, the ball cl- crossed almost the entire um, eighteen yard box. box. Yeah, they, I mean, it was it's just crazy to watch the replay because there's not one player from Inter Miami that gets close to the ball. Until Matarita takes the shot, and then um, I think it's Damian Lowe who tries to block it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there's no reaction there. The positioning—it's—it it seems like everybody was watching the ball, and um, when you get caught watching the ball and you're far away, you're basically out of the game. And that's exactly what happened to the players that were far from the ball on the left side of the field. And then you know, yes, obviously you can blame—you can blame. Jean Mota, because he knows his responsibilities. He, need, he needs to move back. But again, Franco, I think he's playing out of position. I think he's playing out of position. That is not his position. I'm not going to say that same thing that happened with Lewis Morgan last year will happen to him. But I think he's playing out of position. And we saw it in the second half. When Mo Adams comes off, what's, what's next for Jean Mota? He goes and plays his natural position. So... You know, when you when you put players out of position, you have to give them a break as well, 
because it's not on them. It's 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 on Phil who decided to put John right. Mota there, and 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 that could be good offensively because you know he's good moving forward. But if you give them that responsibility defensively, then he might not be be able to 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 do the job. So, uh, I mean, you take the risk as a coach, and if it doesn't work, then you have to take the blame on the, in a, after the game. Absolutely, and I'm not blaming Gene Mota. I'm not blaming Gene Mota. It's not his fault that half of the team is pressing high and half of the team is 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 backed off and in a in a more defensive uh, posture. Now, you, you touched on a good point because. Every goal, practically every goal that happens in any game you ever watch in any level, the team that scores it usually has some virtues, right? There's some things that they did well to merit that goal. And usually there's some mistakes made on the defensive side in any goal that you can also look at and point and say, okay, this needs to be corrected, this needs to be fine-tuned, this needs to be better. And I, I will give Cincinnati their credit because they did move the ball well. Luciano Acosta, Lucho Acosta pulled off a great little half turn when he got the ball to keep the sequence going at a, at a decent speed. But I think it's a lot more simpler for FC Cincinnati to make those decisions and make those passes when they have so much space to attack. And that, to me, is the problem with that goal. And that, to me, is, again, why it's concerning that this young team... And it's still a young team. The pieces are still coming together. But why they couldn't get that basic, basic, basic fundamental down of being a compact team. You don't want to be a stretch team. Because that leaves way too many spaces for the opposing side to play into. Correct? Right. You want to stay compact and organized. Regardless if you're high pressing. Regardless if you're playing in a middle block. Regardless if you're playing in a deep block. You want to stay tight and compact. So there's not that many spaces for the opposing team to play through. And Especially on the road as well. And Inter-Miami got it completely wrong on that first goal. Completely wrong. If you're going to press, the whole team needs to push up higher up the field. If you're going to drop off, have the whole team drop off. Maybe save for one player if you want to have somebody up top just you know, just there to estorbar or just to, to help make sure that the ball gets played uh, quickly or at, at, some, at some, in some reasonable time. But Inter-Miami was, was completely disjointed. Completely disjointed. And that, again, is on the coaching staff. It's not on any one player there. That is concerning for me. That is concerning for me. That's something that the, the staff needs to look at over these next two weeks. They have two weeks to work on things. It's an international break. That has to be addressed. This team needs to get on the same page. And one thing that I haven't asked you either is what your thoughts are on this 4-4-2. Because I think this 4-4-2 is done. I don't think that they're going to stick with this 4-4-2. They can stick with the four-man back line, but the midfield and forward posture or, or the system and, and those aspects, those positions, that has to be rearranged because the 4-4-2 just did not work, at least not with this personnel that's available. Iguain and Campana are not the fastest guys in the world. They do not have much mobility. And, and there's no chemistry there. Let's be honest. There's no chemistry there. Last year, I kept asking... Rodolfo Pizarro and Gonzalo Higuain to get together, have a dinner or do something, go to the fair, do something together, try to solve your problems, go to the movies, do something, become friends, not best friends, but just friends and play together on the field because the team needed that, uh, that duo to play together. If Campana is going to start, same scenario applies. There, I have to see something from from those two. I don't think you know they connect at all during games. So why start Campana and why start Iwain 
if if you know they 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 they're not doing the same thing. They're not on the same page on the field. I didn't see anything you know? from Camp- I, I saw very little from Campana in this game. Very little. He he did yes. he did help set up the the penalty kick. We have to give him his credit. He did help set up the penalty kick with a pass in behind to Yedlin, and that's when when the foul comes from Matarita and the penalty kick is is awarded. So he did create help create the goal that Inter Miami scored. But other than that, did not see almost anything from him. Did not see almost anything, and this is now what his fourth appearance where he he hasn't he hasn't shown a whole lot. He has a goal and he's helped set up a penalty kick. So new, statistically, if you want to look at it that way, it hasn't been terrible. But just from a on the field, from an aesthetic point of view, from the eye test, he doesn't pass it. Not yet. Through four games, he hasn't passed it. But my point wasn't even on the attacking side, which is obviously their main function, their main roles, their main responsibilities as the two forwards. My point was in the four four two. And this is why you want the, them to press. Well, no, no. So this is so Steve and Primo Brenner, who is not here, he's still uh, on vacation with his family. He long time ago asked for the four four two, or mentioned it as a possibility for something that Phil Neville could do in a game. And uh, or, uh, this was maybe early last year. I think this was before you you had joined us. And I and we had a discussion about it because very few teams play the four four two nowadays. It's almost extinct in 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 in, in soccer in football. And there's a reason for that. Because modern football requires you to defend. And you need more players to defend. And this 4-4-2, the way it played against FC Cincinnati, for me, for me, I don't know what your thoughts are, your opinions are, or your analysis is, it did not work because those two players who lack mobility and who are up top, neither of them got back to help in terms of a defensive posture and a defensive shape. They stayed pretty high up. And that left a huge hole in between them and the midfield line. And guess who played in that in those spaces? Kubo, Moreno, and Lucho Acosta. And they dictated the tempo and moved it around with ease because they had all the time and space to just do that. And that to me is why the 442 with this with at least with this personnel is not going to work. Maybe if Ariel Lasseter's in there. Maybe it changes a little bit because he's he has more speed, more mobility. He can help come fill that hole and press and do a little bit more. But neither Campana or Iguain did much defensive work there. And that just left a huge hole in the middle of the field that FC Cincinnati could play through and play to and move the ball around. And that's how they started a lot of their sequences before playing out wide and whipping in the crosses that Phil Neville said afterwards. Uh, was something that they had worked on blocking and, and, and they just did not do it in the game. But the breakdown comes, for me, from the from the formation, from the 4-4-2. I think they need to go 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1, something. I don't think the 4-4-2 is going to be a long-term solution for this team for that very reason, unless they try it out with Ariel Lasseter and, and it works remarkably. What are your thoughts well, on, on that? Yeah, I, I think, you know, the 4-4-2, you know, we... we we concentrated so much uh, on the five-man back line that when we saw four, we started to be a little bit optimistic about how things will go for, for Inter-Miami. I don't think there's a reason to go back to five unless you're facing a team that it's clearly superior and you're, you're just basically trying not to lose the game. You want to get a point. Whether you're at home or on the road, we all know that, our, that in MLS there are teams that are far ahead from Inter-Miami and you have to be defensive, all right? That's that's. I mean, but, that, but, the, but the modern game requires you to be to have to prioritize a good amount of defending. Yes or no? Yes. It's, yes. it's not like 30, 40 years ago where you know you didn't you, you weren't so so much worried about the marks. You were more worried about attacking and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Modern soccer now there is more 
marca. There's more defending. There's more defensive responsibilities. Yeah. There's more organization and more of a stress on being organized and keeping tight, etc., etc., etc. And and I think he goes four four two for something we've talked about in person multiple times. Is that Phil Neville prioritizes the defensive side of the game? Well, yeah, of course. Okay, right. Course. So he's not he's not prioritizing attacking soccer. He's not prioritizing looking for goals. He's prioritizing keeping a zero at the back. That is where his emphasis lies. And the four four two, it gives you that block of eight in theory, right? Because you have two lines of four, the back four, the midfield four, and when you're in a defensive posture, they make a block of eight that in theory is supposed to be tough to break down. But it was not yeah, tough but- to break down in this game, and that and so that is the, where the the issue lies. If you're going to go four four two, you need to be tough to break down, and they weren't tough to break down. So that's why I don't think this is they going to not. work. I don't think it's going to work. I don't think it's going to work. I think they, they have to switch not, the formation. And and why they were not effective? Because Robert Taylor, you know, he's a, not a defensive minded player, and because Jan Mota is covering too much ground, and he doesn't have a lot of help because you know it's way onto the right side, and that's. You know, that's not familiar territory for him. So, um, I, I, listen, I think if if you look at the possibilities for this team, you know, there are a few options. But if you you, you have your four-man back line, which, you know, it's all set. You're not going to change a lot. You know, it's Gibbs. You know, it's McVeigh. You know, it's Damian Lowe and DeAndre Edlin. I don't think there's, there's, there's no way he's going to change that. If you want to change something, okay, get out McVeigh and bring Quinteros in. That's basically it. It's not going to be a huge difference. But in the middle, you know, the fact for Inter Miami right now is that Mo Adams is ba- basically their best player right now. He's in he's in good form, and there's no way you're taking Mo Adams out of the lineup. Let's be honest, because he's he's the top player for them. Would you agree with me on that one? I think he's playing at a high level for them. He might not be. It's tough. I mean, it's tough for me. I, I think I think it's just been inconsistent. I think I think the whole team's been inconsistent. Some good games, some yeah, bad games. But- but I think Mo Adams overall, you know, he 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 deserves a starting spot, especially based on what we have seen from Mota and Gregory, I, which is not a lot. Look, the, right? o- the only way I think Mo Adams continues to start is if you say Gregory. That's the only way. Until Gregory re- rediscovers his his main form, I don't think you can keep Mo Adams in the lineup. He's and that's not going to him. He's not so, going to so him. So then, so then that's the problem. That's the problem that I think Inter Miami is going to have to figure out how to solve. Play 4-3-3. 4-3-3. With Mo Adams, Mota, and Gregory in the middle. Take Campana out. Last turn on the right. Um, Iguain as a true nine. And Robert Taylor on the left. That's it. That's it. It's not that hard. But that requires Iguain to stay up top, which we touched on last yes. week in, in detail and in depth. Is that something he's going to do? Because now we have reached a point in which Phil needs to sit down with uh, Gonzalo Wayne and let him know that it is time for him to go back inside the box. Things are not working right now. You have scored two goals, won a penalty in four games. Things are not working. There's nobody else that can score like Gonzalo Iguain in Inter Miami. And and it's it's not good for, for Pipita. It's not good for the team. It's not good for Phil. Look where they are right now. I mean, it's yeah. it's pretty obvious to me that if he's inside the box, most of the chances that you know we have seen missed by Lassiter, by Campana, Pipita's a finisher. Pipita will score if he gets those those opportunities inside the box. So more, more often than not, not always, but more often than not. 
Yeah, of course, not always. Well, he no, no, because no, last towards the end of job. last year, towards the end of last year, he had some very good looks and he didn't put them away. In this one, he had a half chance laid on and he completely scuffed it and pushed it pushed it wide. So, I mean, he's I clearly he, the team's best finisher. He's clearly the team's best finisher. I agree with that, hundred percent. And he should be look, I, he should be in the box. I'm sure you. I'm sure you watch this as as you rewatch the game. There are a couple of moments. I think they're both in the second half, in which Gonzalo Higuain picks up the ball behind, and he's standing behind Mota and Gregory. How is that a positive sign for Inter Miami? How in the world is that a positive sign? I mean, there's not one coach in the world that would think that's a good idea. If you watch that, you don't have to train with them. You don't have. You can watch them for the first time. And if you see Gonzalo Wayne picking the ball, trying to get the build-up going, behind Gregory and Mota, that's trouble right there. That's a lot of trouble. He needs to be inside the box, and that's on field right now. He needs to talk to him and let him know, I want you inside the box. If you are not inside the box, you're coming out. But that goes back to our question last week. Can Phil motivate Iguain? Can Phil get the best out of Iguain? Can Phil like that? It, it doesn't look like it. It doesn't look like it. Now they have two weeks to try to address this. They need. To, they need proof, to figure out a right? solution. They need to figure out a solution. I think to this to this what you know with Iguain playing up top. I think it speaks to it's part of a of a bigger potential solution for this team. And it is a criticism I have of Phil Neville. It's playing players to their strengths to their positions play them to what they're good at 4-3-3 I don't hate that idea okay try it out see if that works or a 4-2-3-1 try it out see if that works if you want to keep Iguain as the playmaker if you want to try that Phil Neville has to have a a real hard look in the mirror in terms of his tactics his game plan and his, his ability to read a game and make in-game adjustments. Because going back to what we said early on before we started diving into the game even further, I didn't see many adjustments from this team in the second half. I didn't see a response from this team in the second half. And that is an issue. That is an issue. Because yeah, the I, game was there. The game was concerning. there. The yes. game was there. They didn't have a great first half, but it, it was within reach. It was within touching distance. And they still could not create anything until very late on. It's very hard for me to believe, Franco, and and hopefully we get comments on this because it's very hard for me to believe that in that halftime speech, Phil didn't talk about getting the energy back up. Try to believe a little bit more in, in the work that you that you have done in preseason. Um, but do the Jose, do the players? Do you think the players are buying into what he's selling at this early point that, in the that's season? What I'm that's my because a lot of, a lot of the game plan is stay tight defensively, stay compact, and you know have the ball when you have the ball, hoof the ball forward. That's a you see a lot of long balls, and that's another problem I have with the game plan or the overall tactics. Because with Campana and with Iguain, and you keep hoofing long balls forward from Damian Lowe, from Drake Callender, from Christopher McVeigh, whoever whoever's hoofing those long balls forward to the two strikers. We've already touched on how Campana, despite his size, isn't very good at winning 50-50s in the air. Hasn't shown it yet. Maybe he can get better, but he hasn't shown it yet. Higuain, even for his size, doesn't even put in much effort and much fight to win aerial balls. So 
Inter Miami constantly hoofs the ball forward, and they constantly lose possession and gave it back to FC Cincinnati. Yeah, and that's yeah. A, that's a problem. So if teams are pressing you and they're not going to let you build out short, you got to find a different way. You got to find a different way because just clearly launching it far and up the field is not working because you don't have the players who are going to fight and scrap and and, and do enough. Iguain clearly clear doesn't it, have it. Maybe Campana could have it, but he hasn't shown it yet. Yeah, and if you do, and if you if you go for the long ball constantly, you know it, it's very easy for for the opponent to prepare as well, right? Because you basically have to win that one v one battle every single time, and Absolutely. look for the second ball, look for and the second think ball. you'll be ready. So, uh, I mean, uh, listen, I, I I and going back to the to the halftime conversation because you know I, I want to get into that moment as a player when you go into the locker room. What are you expecting from your coach? You're expecting for your coach to motivate you, to let you know um, how to win this game. Because at that point, you know, they had plenty of time to tie the game and maybe go for three points. You know, you're facing Cincinnati. I mean, I mean, we all know what Cincinnati is in this league. And so um, I would, as a player, I would have expected that mentality, that, that, that speech from the, from the head coach. And if that is what happened and the players did not reflect that on the field, in the second half, that's a problem to me. That's a problem to me. Obviously, that's something that can be fixed. But, you know, maybe Phil needs to change the way he addressed the players. I don't know what's going on there. But I want to see something else from the players. They have to listen to the coach. And the coach needs to do a, 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 better, a better job in getting the attention of the players and let them to believe that what he's saying is actually what they need to win games. And I think that's something that they are not showing right now. Look, there's a lot of criticism. There is a lot of criticism, at least from fans, headed in Phil Neville's direction right now. Because clearly the team is not off to a great start. And clearly the team is not even performing well on the field. Because you can suffer losses. But if there's some encouraging signs, or if there are some encouraging signs on the field, then, okay, that helps mitigate the frustration. But there are very little to no encouraging signs with regard to this team at this early point in the season. And it is early. And Mo Adams did touch on that, that it is a marathon. It's not a sprint. That's true. Especially in MLS when you can bring on mid-season signings that can completely turn around the season for you. But right now, right now, this team is showing next to nothing. Next to nothing. And that is a problem because it impacts the overall mood of everything. Not just the team. Not just the coaching staff, it impacts how fans feel about the team, how local businesses that are potential sponsors or that are sponsors feel about the team. And we saw the last Inter-Miami home game at 1 o'clock. Stadium was not that full, man. Stadium was not that full. Yeah. And, yeah. and in South yeah. Florida, where you where the fan base has a lot of options to do a lot of other things with their money, be it go to the beach, rent a boat... Go out, do whatever, go see another sports team in the market, etc., etc. You have to at least show something to make people want to go. You're always going to get your diehards from La Familia in the stadium. And a few people here and there throughout the rest of Drive Pink. But you're not going to get everybody if you keep performing at this rate. And if you keep playing as you are and losing games as you are. And that's something I want to touch on here. I want to touch on it in a smaller picture and then in a bigger picture because right now Inter Miami heads into the international break 
and I'm pulling up the standings here so I make sure I get all the numbers correct. They are 0, 1, and 3. Zero wins, one draw, three losses. They have two goals scored, and they have 10 goals against for a negative eight goal differential. They have a total of one point, making them last in the Eastern Conference. Obviously, those are terrible, terrible numbers. And yes, it's early. It's a brand new team. It's still coming together. All those talking points. But this is an extension. This start to the 2022 season is an extension of Inter-Miami from day one. From the 2022, from the, excuse me, the 2020 campaign. If you go back to the numbers, and I've done it, I've gone back and looked at the numbers. Inter-Miami has a 19 win, 9 draws, and 33 losses record. They have won 19 times out of 61 official games. That includes the playoff game in 2020 against Nashville SC. If you want to make it 19 out of 60 to just count regular season games, you can. But it's more or less the same picture. The team has a winning percentage of 0.31%. They win one out of every three games over the course of this two years and change. That is, Those are losing numbers. Those are bad numbers. Those are not numbers Inter-Miami probably even thought that they would have when they started this whole thing. And this needs to turn around very quickly. Whether it's Phil Neville making drastic decisions on the field or finding a way to to get the best out of his players, all of them or most of them, or the, the team figuring out if they have to make some drastic changes elsewhere, something has to change because this losing reputation, this losing tradition that Inter-Miami is establishing cannot continue because fans are getting or have been getting accustomed to losing. They're not getting accustomed to winning like fans in Seattle, for example. Seattle Sounder fans, they're used to their team winning. They're used to that feeling of winning and establishing that winning culture. Here, it's, well, a, th- it's a thought process, a great cloud of losing. And that's all. Yes. That's the majority of what we've seen for two years and change. And that and has to change. Why. That has to change it's, because this market will not will not put up with it. This market will stop attending games if this continues for yes. a lot longer. And that is that is a huge concern that I have. A huge concern. And that's a that's a bigger problem right now because in the first days of Inter Miami, there was talk about championships. There was talk about playing um, the Concacaf Champions League. There was talk about superstars coming to Inter Miami. And so that built an expectation from the fan base that this team will be at the top of MLS. And that's the expectation that the ownership will carry on moving forward. That's what fans expect from this team. If this team makes it to the playoffs and they are out in the first or second round, there will still be a group of fans that will demand the championship because that's what they were promised before. So, you know, there's a lot of work to do. If you know this team and if you follow this team, you know they have been in trouble from the get-go. The roster that they had for the first year was not good enough. The expectations shouldn't, shouldn't have been that high. Second year around, same thing happened. Same thing happened. And this year, even more because you have sanctions. So, you know, they they had the opportunity to go out and let everybody know in the community, 
listen, we have a brand new soccer team. MLS is back in South Florida. We have to support this team. We're going to go slowly, but surely we're going to get to the top of MLS. That's usually the way to go when you have a new franchise. You don't go and start thinking about international competitions and maybe the Club World Cup when you haven't played one game. So that's why they carry that frustration from the fan base. And that's why people don't want to drive there anymore. Because it's a long drive from Miami. Tell me about it. So, you know, those are things that there were mistakes early on. And honestly, I don't think they haven't they haven't been addressed as of right now. You know, David Beckham tried to, um, you know, fix them up a little bit a few months ago when he said that, you know, they're going to take pride on on having young players and putting them out there at, at the biggest level in, in a short time and take pride on, on players like Noah Allen, which, you know, it's great. It's awesome. It's awesome to see that. But it's not, that's not what they promised. So people are going to be happy about Noah Allen playing with the first team. But if they don't make the playoffs, they're going to forget about it. And that's nature. That's the nature of the game. And David Beckham knows that. Maybe Jorge Mas, he doesn't know that. But David Beckham knows that. People want to see this team win. And they're not doing it right now. Listen, maybe this is the start of something that will be great eventually because they have young players now. But right now, it's, it's not looking good. And it's going to take a lot from this fan base to take this year for this team to continue to be successful of sorts in terms of attendance, in terms of the attention that they get in the South Florida market. It's it's tough. Soccer in South Florida, you know, it's a struggle for everybody that, that is here right now and that has been here for the last 10 years that I've covered the game here. It's a struggle. It's a struggle. Every single team at some point, they have struggled. I've seen good teams you know, playing in, in second division that they make it to the playoffs and still you see no fans in, this, in the stands. Inter Miami, they have a, a lot more. They have a beautiful stadium. They have a lot to offer. But if they don't win games, people will go and do something else or they would rather stay in Miami and not go to Fort Lauderdale. That's the nature of the game in South Florida. And that's why that losing reputation cannot continue for much longer. That cannot continue for much longer. I spoke to somebody very recently that owns a business. They told me when Inter Miami wins, they sell a lot more than when they don't. When they lose, crickets. So this this has to change. This has to change. And if it's not changing, then serious, serious, serious decisions have to be made. And that that's that's just the nature, like you said, of there was, the game. There was talk and, there was talk about a culture as well, remember? There was talk about a culture, right. there's talk about an identity on the field, there's talk, there's been a lot of talk, right. and there's been little to no progress. Little to no progress on the field. And that's and that's where the issue lies. Because again, how how much longer do you think you're going to keep people's attention if you are one not winning and two not even playing half decently? To give people encouraging signs. Again, you're going to have La Familia there. They're going to turn out. They're going to renew their season tickets. Or a bunch of them are. But what about the other three-fourths of the stadium? Are those people going to renew their season tickets? Are those people going to want to invest that money again? If this is the product that they're seeing on the field? I would guess no. I would guess no. By and large, I would guess no. And I would agree with that. I, I would agree with that. And I, I think I think we have seen that before. 
we have seen that before. Exactly, right, I which think. is why it's concerning to me because yes, I'm I'm yes. a football guy through and through. I'm a football guy through and through. And for the sport to grow in this market, which has a very soccer savvy fan base, this team needs to win. And if it's not winning, at least show something. And this team is doing the complete opposite. Which yes, there's sanctions. There's all these other things at play. That's understandable. But those are not excuses at the end of the day. You still have to go out there and get the job done. You still have to go and do it. Because you can have excuses or you can have results. But you can't have both. You can't have yeah, both. Yeah, I think listen, I think I think we can put it put it this way. And with all due respect to Cincinnati, I think, you know, this is not Cincinnati. You know, in in Cincinnati they, they have they have had terrible, terrible seasons since they got to MLS. They had a su- successful team in USL Championship. Cincinnati and USL Championship, completely different. But in MLS, they don't win games. And yet, you know, you saw a decent number of fans in in the stands. If Inter-Miami follows the same path of inter- of, of FC Cincinnati in the last two years, you know, it's going to be trouble. It's going to be trouble because here people are not going to show up for a team that, you know, they, they, just, they just don't play well. Exactly. And you know, it's... it's Listen, it's a blessing that people go to the stadium and they know what they're watching. They understand exactly what's going on on the field. That's a blessing because, you know, that's that's a solid fan base. It's awesome. But with that comes responsibility. When people know what they're watching and they want to demand something from you and they are aggressive, as we all Latinos are, because we love this game. And, you know, when we see something that it's not right, we're very passionate about it. And, and I think you can see it on the on the, on the on our driving stadium. I think we see it every game. We 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 heard booze last year. Remember? Yeah. You know, people are people know know what they want, and so that's 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 the beauty of the market. But at the same time, you know, it's it's a huge responsibility. So hopefully, ownership, you know, they 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 do something when when they have to. I think right now at this exact moment, it's all on coaching staff and players but if this continues then it's going to come a point in which you know it's not going to be on coaching staff and players it's going to be on who's making the decision to not create a real change within the team so as of right now i still believe you know there's time of course but of responsibility and i think phil took ownership of this yesterday during the press conference it's on players and it's on the coaches, coaching staff. I would say this. I don't think. I don't think. And you go through Inter Miami's post game social media content on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. There's a lot of lot of pointed remarks towards Phil Neville. Understandably yes. so, from a frustrated yes. fan base. Understandably. But I don't think he's going anywhere. I don't think he's going anywhere. I think he's here for the long haul. And this is something maybe that, that some listeners or some fans maybe haven't put into context I, and this is just my opinion but i just don't see him going anywhere even with these poor results and these bad and these bad um performances because if they get rid of phil neville then that means they're starting from zero again they've just built a whole new team that he wanted but it, but, but what do you mean by starting from zero if, where if, are we if if are they, we at 1 1.5 so what's what's the big deal i mean if this if if you don't make any progress what, listen i don't think listen I, i'm going to be completely blunt i don't see i don't see david beckham canning canning his former teammate his friend his his uh business partner i just don't see that happening 
I don't see him giving the green light for that. I've said that since last year. I don't see that happening, regardless of what happens on the field. Maybe Jorge Mas would have a different thought if, if you know, you could dig into his head and, and see what his true thoughts were. Maybe Jorge Mas thinks differently, but I just don't see David Beckham saying, okay, yes, let, let him go if this continues. You have to take into consideration the whole thing. Harvey Neville is entrenched into Inter-Miami too. So I don't think that they're going to let Phil go without giving him the opportunity to have his son move to the first team, which we know is, is a foregone conclusion. It's just a, a formality at this point when they get the when he gets the green card. I don't think they take that away from let's, him. Let's do best-case scenario and worst-case scenario for Phil. I think best-case scenario, he wins one or two in the first ten, and then that's enough for him to survive. He can, I, I think he, you know, it's possible. I think for he survives no matter what. I think he survives no matter what. So No, no, no. But let's do best and worst. Best will be that, you know, win one one or two. Worst case scenario is you're still winless. You face Miami FC or Miami United in the U.S. Open Cup and you drop that game. I think that's it right there. I mean, that's going to be very hard to take for the ownership. You know, the team, if it's Miami United, even worse. Because, you know, Miami United is not even a full professional team. and they, they have some talent, but they are not a professional team. If Miami FC wins, which on paper is basically the only rival for um, Inter-Miami in the South Florida market, I think that's going to be a lot, a lot for Jorge Mas to take. To watch his team, the team that he built the stadium for, paid so much money to MLS, drop the one game against Miami FC, I think that could be a turning point. If you're still winless in MLS, maybe. I think that could be a turning point. To me, that's the worst case scenario. Maybe I'm wrong, but I just don't see it. I don't see it. At I that just, point? I, yeah, I don't see it. I don't see them... Like, I don't see David Beckham giving the green light. I don't see it. I just don't see it. That's And that's that could speak to cronyism, nepotism, that, that those those words have come up when it comes to Inter-Miami and some of the decisions that they've made since its inception, but I just don't see it. We'll but see how what... do you defend Phil at that point, though? Like, if you're David Beckham and, you know, it's you a get process. that... Net... It's a process, process, you know, you got to stick with the process. Oh, okay. You have to, you have to, it takes time to... I, I actually, last night, um, going through YouTube, I, I ran into a... a video on Inter-Miami's YouTube channel that I had not seen, and it was like a preseason, like, little package 10-15 minutes or so just like touching on different things in preseason and different people talking about different things and we'll close out this first segment on this it was uh chris henderson at the end of the video at the end of the video uh i think he's asked what message would he give the fans or a quote he would give the fans because chris henderson is very big on on like motivational quotes and the video ends with him saying i won't tell you that it will be easy but i will tell you that it will be worth it Something along those lines is what Chris Henderson said. So it's going to be a process, and I think Phil Neville has a lot of time. A lot of time, a a lot of leash. I just don't see it happening. And I know a lot of fans are clamoring it for it to happen, but I think even if this continues, even if this poor run of form, poor run of results continues, I don't see him going anywhere. I think he's here for a good long while. But... We'll see how things play out. Hopefully for Inter-Miami, hopefully for their fans, things take a turn for the better soon. There are some winnable games on the schedule, and they might have to win some games that are not even that maybe aren't winnable on paper over this next stretch to, to really 
establish some confidence within the team and within the fan base. But we'll see very soon. We'll see very, very soon. Jose, let's take a quick break. We've talked for a good long bit about the state of Inter-Miami. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll touch on this interview that I did with Noah Allen. We will do that after this. We all have to take collective responsibility. Uh, there's only one way out of the poor starts of the season. I expected us to start the season better than what we did. We, we knew that there was going to be uh, little bumps in the road with a new team, new players, integration and all that, but we're not using that for as an excuse one bit. Uh, it's work, work, work. Every single day now we need to work even harder than what we've been doing. Okay, guys, let's do something a little bit different here. We don't have a game to preview, so we don't have a guest to come on here for the second segment of Miami Total Football Radio. But we do have excerpts from an interview that I did with Noah Allen a couple of weeks ago that I thought would be of interest to you listeners and you Inter-Miami fans. Now, this interview was done after the Austin FC game and before the LAFC match. So it is a little bit dated, but but I still think the comments... The comments are worth sharing. Now, the initial idea when I did this interview was to write a story, write a feature on Noah Allen, homegrown product, 17-year-old teenager, signing his first contract, professional contract, with his hometown team, Inter-Miami. But unfortunately, that did not come to pass. So I've been running through different ideas in my head, rattling through a bunch of them, and I said, why not on the podcast? Why not share some excerpts on the podcast? So that's what we're going to do here. But there is a disclaimer because my normal super technological microphone that I have for interviews with which we use or that we use to share the audio here at a decent quality, that one did not work well because it picked up a lot of the wind that normally blows through Inner Miami's training facility or outside of Inter-Miami's training facility and that's where I did this interview with Noah Allen so that did not work but my backup audio recorder which was my cell phone it did work however since it's a cell phone and it's not a souped up technological audio recorder there's a lot of ambient noise so you're going to hear a lot of birds chirping some airplanes flying overhead a lot of wind at times and some grass cutting being done in the background so Apologies in advance, but again, I do think that some of the the remarks and comments that Noah Allen made were worth sharing. So we're going to go ahead and do that here, starting with his comments on what it means for him to sign a deal and officially turn pro with his hometown team, Inter Miami. Yeah, I mean, it's a great feeling. It's my dream to sign for this club, you know, ever since I first heard about the club even being made. So um, for my parents, for my family, for my girlfriend, you know, it's it means a lot, but at the end, my goal is to now bring a championship here, honestly. I know it's, it may sound extreme, but it's a dream that I want to accomplish. And if I have to be the water boy for the rest of the year, if, if that could make us win a championship or make it there, I would do it. You know, to the best of my capabilities. So at this point, I'm just hungry to, to win games and, and to be much better for myself and the team. Jose, what are your thoughts on those comments from Noah Allen with regards to signing with his hometown team. It sounds like it means quite a bit for him, maybe more than other players that are just turning pro. This is his hometown team. Sounds like it means an awful lot. No, listen, man, I, I, I love Noah Allen. I think he has the right attitude. I think, you know, he's a good player. Um, I think he still, you know, needs, needs time, of course, to develop. I think he's in the right path. I mean, if there's one thing that Inter-Miami can take pride on, I think it's Noah Allen right now. 
Um, you know, he's he has shown that you know he he can compete at this level. I, I think the I I will tweak something if 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 I was the head coach for Inter Miami. I don't think I'll play him as a left back. I think I wouldn't give him defensive responsibilities as of right now because I don't think he's ready. Um, he's overmatched at times there, um, and and teams try to take advantage of that. But um, I think there's there's a lot of potential there. Um, I remember watching him in in preseason in one of the training sessions, and he caught my eye. And it's a process for him, and he's following that process. Obviously, very excited to be with the first team now. But there's a lot of work behind. You know, from last year, he was working really hard, and and I'm just just very happy for him because you know. It's it's definitely a, a dream come true. I, I I can only imagine what 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 it, what it would have meant for me to play with, for for my hometown team, right? That's like the dream for everybody. Play for the national team. For, for, play for the the team that you love that you, you grew up watching. So um, it's it's great. It's great. And 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 again, this is something that actually Inter Miami can take pride on. And if they're able to do this constantly every year, bring a player up and give them this platform, the opportunity, I think that that should be a positive. That should be something that hopefully continues to happen with this team. So I will agree with two things you said there. And one is that, you know, hopefully you see more of this from Inter Miami in the coming years, so long as they're doing it in an intelligent manner, right? Like not, not rushing players just for the sake of saying they've signed some young players. Hopefully it's more along the lines with what we've seen with Noel Allen, a player that looks like, He's close to, to ready to make that, that step to the professional level or the MLS level. Now, I will agree with you that also that while I think he's he's ready to be on the first team, I don't think he's ready yet to be a regular contributor or a regular starter. He obviously had a very solid first game against the Chicago Fire, and a lot of people, including ourselves, including us here on Miami Total Football Radio, you know, we gave him his plaudits. And said there were a lot of good starting points. But positionally, given his age, given his inexperience, there's still work to be done. And not just positionally, but in numerous facets. Something he recognized during our chat. And we talked about a lot of things. We talked a lot, of, a lot about a lot of different things. Why he wears the number 32. It's the number they gave him, but he's happy he could wear it because his number is 23 for David Beckham, for Michael Jordan. Um, you know, he, he respects both of those athletes or former athletes and, and he likes number 23 but anyway going back to the point I think you know you saw in this game against FC Cincinnati le ganaron la, las espaldas or le ganaron la espalda a few times which translates to you know they got in behind him on the on the back shoulder right like on, on a few different plays I think three if I'm not mistaken three different times after he came on to replace Kieran Gibbs against FC Cincinnati they made runs in behind off of the, the back shoulder and he was beaten there. And it, it came to, to bite Inter Miami on the third goal that Brendan Vasquez, who's much bigger than Noel, heads home. So I think, obviously, it's no 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 crime on Noel Allen's part that he has a lot of learning and growing to do. He's a young player at the beginning of his career. So I uh, definitely agree with you on those parts. I would also say it was nice to hear him say, you know, he'd be the water boy for the rest of the year if that's what it takes to help Inter Miami get to an MLS Cup. So clearly, again, being on this team means a lot for him because it's not just the team that made him turn pro, it's his hometown team. And he's a South Florida kid through and through. He likes all the local teams, Miami Heat, Marlins, Panthers, 
Hurricanes. He told me all the all the local teams, all the local teams. So that was cool to hear. Now let's go into this next quote, into this next comment from Noel and from our interview. It's on how the academy helped him get ready to make this jump at such an early time in his life to play for the first team in MLS and what specifically helped him. Now, initially he said everything, but then he went into a little bit more specific detail. So let's listen to that here. Just the coaches have been amazing. Every single, I, I mean, I can name, I can name so much coaches that helped me and just going over film, you know, doing extra after trainings, uh, sending set pieces, sending tactical information on the other team on what I could, um, on video of what I could have done better. That really helped me take my level to the next game because obviously in, young, in uh, local academies and local teams, you don't really get that stuff. You don't get that that information. So that really helped me. Jose, before you give me your thoughts, I want to say that obviously the work that's being done there seems like it's being done in, uh, in the right way. Obviously when Noah Allen says he's getting information and access and feedback that he wasn't getting at the at just the club level when he wasn't part of the academy then obviously what the inner miami academy is providing is a step up which is what you'd like to hear especially uh from a young academy because inner miami's academy is still fairly young so you know some some academies don't come out flying out of the gates i don't know if inter miami's flying out of the gates but at least that they're they're a step or two ahead of what the other just local clubs in the South Florida soccer community provide. That's certainly a plus. What are your thoughts in general on what Noah Allen said there? Yeah, that's great. You know, that, that makes me think, you know, it's a shame that we, we don't get that access because of COVID, of course, in the last uh, uh, few years. Um, I remember a few years back with, with when Miami FC was playing at the NASL level, I think. Well, I can't remember exactly the year, but we had access to the academy when they just got started. And, and we knew the coaches. We talked to the coaches about the players that were coming up, the plans that they had moving forward. Um, you know, we, we, we don't have that access, unfortunately, to go to the to, to the games. We haven't been able to go to the um, former for a lot of the LCF games and, and watch them closely and watch them develop. So, you know, it, it's good to get this this information. You know, you come to expect that from, from Inter-Miami. Listen, if they don't get the results on the field, that doesn't necessarily mean that I that they are a mess in the entire organization. I mean, they do things well, and um, I think the the one thing that they have been working uh, very well because you saw players like Mavica as well, which I think is not ready as well. They, uh, at the same time, uh, just like Noel is not ready to play at the, at the, with the first team consistently, Mavica is the same, but you see some development, but you see players getting better. So I think the academy is working really well. And, and you know, I'm just happy to hear that players are comfortable working with the academy because that's the most important thing when you're developing as a player you have to be comfortable you have to believe on what the coaches are saying Mabika didn't come from the academy he was but I get your point I get your point because he was obviously drafted last yes. year in 2021 but like Allen he's been groomed and developed a bit obviously right. more specifically with the second team formerly known as Fort Lauderdale CF now Inter Miami 2 but I again I get your point I get your point now Obviously, with any young player that signs a professional deal early and makes his debut and performs pretty well in that first game, there tends to be some hype. There tends to be some hype. Now, the good thing for Noel Allen is that he's a left back, right? So not as much hype as if he was a winger or an attacking midfielder or a striker because we've seen throughout 
U.S. soccer, through the history of U.S. soccer, and not just U.S. soccer. It, it happens in practically every country. When there's a young player that's coming through the ranks and he shows some promise initially and the deficiencies in that player's game haven't been seen really, right? Because that happens over uh, a long, sp- a longer spell of games. You know, the sky's the limit. The sky's the limit. The ceiling's high. And, and everyone's very, very high. And it's easy to, to gush over or overly hype that player because you're talking about potential and with potential you know you can you could your imagination can go into unrealistic or unnecessary territory right like with Freddie Adu for example and it's an extreme case but Freddie Adu was compared to Pele when he was signing as a 14 year old (laughs) obviously it doesn't happen to that extent but the hype train it's easy to jump on the hype train and gush over a player early on very easy to do that and it happens with fans it happens with media it's very very easy to do and without taking proper context and and a larger sample size of what that player can do and letting that player prove himself, you know, continuously. You know, the, the hype just comes very early, very early sometimes. So with any young player, one of the questions is how will they manage the attention they get now? How will they manage the hype, the expectations, the attention, all of that? Because, because things can happen very quickly. Things can change very quickly in a person's life. When they sign a professional deal, right? And and I'll use Claudio Pizarro as an example. Uh, Peruvian player, didn't have the greatest of success with the national team, but at the club level was very successful. Won a Champions League, played for Bayern Munich. Chelsea is a legend with Werder Bremen. I've seen that up close and personal during a trip that I took to Germany. So anyway, the point is that he signed early on in Europe. Left Peru at an early age and signed over in Europe. And he said that at some point early on, the attention and everything that comes with signing a deal, right? You're not just getting attention from media. You're getting attention from all different types of people now. Agents, um, all different types of people, all different types of people in all different realms of life. That can be distracting and that can take you away from the focus of the day-to-day and the practicing and the working and all that stuff you have to do. It can it can be very distracting. You can you know, get caught up in the nightlife, etc., etc., a lot can happen very quickly. But this is where he said in an interview that el entorno de cada jugador, which is the support system of, of every player, that's very important to keep that player on track as well as that player's personality and, and how he focuses on the career. So anyway, that's all to say that I asked Noalan about how he, he manages those expectations or how he plans to manage it. This is what he had to say about that. A way that I guess you could say manage it is to look back on my mistakes and kind of focus on that. I don't, I don't think I did play the best game that I could have done. I don't, I don't think you know I helped the team a lot, and I think I could have done much better. And I think you know focusing on that kind of stuff and focusing on how to win and focusing on how to stay on the floor instead of you know going you know being on cloud nine. Um, it's always been a trait of mine to be humble, and so I think just. Keeping the consistent level and of humbleness, it'll, it'll help my Jose, your thoughts? Well, listen. If, if you want to make it to the to the to the first team in MLS and in any league in the world, and you're 17 years old, you it's it's not only about talent, right? You have a you need a great support system, and you have to be level headed, and and you know that's that that's great. I mean, that's great. That's going to help him a lot. 
that's going to help him a lot because um you know he knows that he needs he he there's there's there are some things that he needs to work on but you know he, he knows that if he remains consistent in the work you know he's going to be able to accomplish his goals and 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 hopefully that's the case because i think he could be that player with the talent that we have seen right now, he could be that player that it's actually that becomes actually the pride of Inter Miami when he's able to move past. You know, hey, 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 hey don't club. go over hyping him now. Don't go over hyping him now. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But yeah, you know, I just did a whole <laughs> little tangent on how media overhype some of these players. Then you go and, and do that. No, I'm again. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I I get what you're saying. Obviously, if if he stays on a steady path and continues to develop and progress and, and stays focused and, and puts in the work. Stays injury free as well. It's obviously a, another key component. If he can do all that, then you know th- there's plenty of potential there. There's plenty of potential there because he does have a lot of good, a lot of good starting points. And it's not just Inter Miami that thinks so. Obviously, the U.S. Under 20 Men's National Team called him up earlier this year as well. Something that I chatted with him about. Also, now to close this out, you use the word goals, and that's where I think we should wrap this up. I asked him about his goals for the short term and the longer term. This is what he had to say about that, including his ambition to go overseas at some point. Uh, uh, my dream is to be in a top five league in Europe one day. Um, but I think the more now is to just make it as far as possible with Inter, you know, in the league and the standings and winning games. Because obviously the last two years have been tough. And... I'm, I'm also a fan. My dad's a fan. My mom, my friends, you know, they're all fans. So, you know, I want to win. Jose, that airplane aside, what did you think of those comments from Noah Allen with regards to his short-term goals and his long-term goals? Well, that's the dream. That's the dream. That's why the Champions League is what it is, right? Because, you know, every... Sunday morning or Monday or Saturday afternoon, we watch those games. We everybody wants to be at the at the highest level possible, and that's just part of the dream of a of a soccer player. And you know, it's great to see that you know um, he already has that that mentality, that goal set to um, that he believes that he can actually make it to that level. Um, that that's just great. You know, it's it's exciting. Because that that's the beauty of this job as well, Franco, and you know it, and hopefully people will understand, you know, players come and go, and then when they move on and they have success someplace else, you know, you're just happy for them and the way their things are turning out. So I think that's great for him, and, and hopefully, you know, that, that he continues to stay healthy, continues to learn, continues to work hard, and I'm sure he, he's going to make it. Okay, Jose, well, then before we wrap up here, I do want to share that I asked him what players he looked up to when he was younger. And he named Cristiano Ronaldo as part of the Manchester United team as someone he looked up to earlier in his life. And as he got older and and started looking at maybe more of the left-back position, he started looking at Roberto Carlos as well as Marcelo, two Brazilian left-backs, two of the best to have ever played that position, and two very attack-minded left-backs. So I thought that was interesting, but let's leave it there. I hope you listeners enjoyed that, regardless of all the uh, uh, ambient noise. But let's take another quick break. We'll come back to do the Q&A session, and we will do that after this.
post it. Q&A time. We're going to address these questions pretty quickly. We have a few. We start with Luis Mega. He asks, do you three play or have played soccer? What position? Jose, I actually don't know the answer to this question from you. Yes. Yes. I did play in high school. Um, uh, yeah, I did play recently as well. <laughs> um, I'm usually a striker. You know, as I was younger, I was a striker. Now, I think if if I had to play today, I think I play in the middle. I play in the middle. I think I'm the number 10 that Inter Miami is missing. So <laughs> you, can, you can call me. Um, I'll think about it and see how things are. We can figure out a contract. But yeah, I'm usually a midfielder. Um, good with the ball, I should say. I mean, I have to be honest here. So, yeah. <laughs> so you're you're Jose the player and also Jose the agent because you're really doing a good job there of touting yourself. Yes. Up. Um, yes. So I have played soccer and I do play soccer now, although not that much anymore. I had a knee injury when I was still living in New York two weeks before I turned 30. My first ever injury, I suffered a grade one LCL strain in my right knee. And since then, I've kind of taken a step back in terms of the frequency with which I play, the intensity with which I play. Um, obviously, I'm not turning pro, so I, you know, I try to take care of myself a, a bit in that regard. But I still play. I still enjoy playing, although I'm definitely not 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 anywhere near as uh, athletic or as physical as I, as I used to be when I was younger. So uh, and before the injury, so I, I mean, where would I play? Right back, right midfield, somewhere along the right side. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Really? Right back. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm a very, I'm a very, I'm a very right-footed player. I know my my weaknesses. My left foot. I wish when I was growing up, I had worked on it a bit more because, like they say in Spanish, soy medio cojo in that in that regard. <laughs> like I, my left, my left foot is there just to practically just to stand on it. It's not, it's not very good in terms of making passes and and, and whatnot. So yeah, I'm very right-footed. So put me on the on the right flank somewhere, either right back or right midfielder. Uh, let me take some shots from there or uh, or whip in some crosses. But I mean, look, at the end of the day, you play we, me. You can play me anywhere. I just want to play. I just want to play. Listen, we, we have to plan this. We have to plan this. Now that we're talking about playing, um, we need to get a sponsor for a pickup game with us three and some Miami Total Football Radio listeners. Hey, How that'd be that? cool. Yeah, that would be cool. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be down for that. I'd be down for that. Absolutely. And it may, hopefully right. the let's, listeners would be too. Hopefully the listeners would like yeah. that. Yeah, let's do this. Let's do this. People listening right now, if you're willing to play a pickup game with the Miami Total Football Radio family, family, I should say, send us a message or give us a like or, you know, do something. You know, <laughs> Just let us media. know. Just let us know. Just let us know. And we'll see how we can figure that out. I don't, know. A, I don't know if Steve plays, fun though. Event. He's going to have to play now. I don't know yeah. if he plays. He might He might just be the coach on the sidelines or he might be the referee or something. I don't know. He probably plays. He probably plays. I'm just giving him a hard time because he's not here. But we'll, we'll he talk about it. He could be a referee. He could be a referee. That's not a problem. But he needs to be there. So... We'll, but we'll see. We'll see. If people are interested, then we might be able to get it done. I've I've also heard, and this is a little side note, a little parentheses here. Um, I've heard there are murmurs of maybe a media game happening, uh, an Inter Miami held media game. So maybe we can play in that way, and uh, we'll give each other player ratings. Hopefully, hopefully you're not too harsh. Hopefully you're not too harsh of a score there, my friend. You can give me a a decent player rating. Uh, okay, so you're right back, so you're in trouble. <laughs> Next question comes from Elder Bar. 
Is there any actual risk talk of Phil losing his job? Great Henderson signings and sell so far. I blame Bex for everything that has gone wrong for this club. Is there any actual risk? We touched on it earlier in the pod. I say no. I say no. As of right now, no. Is there talk about it? I mean, there is some talk from fans. There is some talk, clearly, if you, again, look at Inter-Miami social channels. But going back to what I said with Jose before, I, I don't think there's not actual talk from within the organization about it happening. I mean, again, talk to a bunch of different people, players, coaches, agents, a lot of people that work in and around the team, and I just haven't heard anything of that nature. So I don't think that there's any current risk or talk from those closer to the team, but obviously as a fan base, there there is that talk already. So. But, you know, if, th- if things don't turn around quickly, and again, worst case scenario, if the U.S. Open Cup comes, they have yet to win a game in MLS, and for some reason they are out of the competition in the, well, I think that's the third round, but first for Inter-Miami, I think that's that's going to be tough. That's going to be tough right there. But, you know, as of right now, I think it's fine. We'll see how things go. Remember, two weeks right now. You know, it's very important for the team to make some progress in two weeks of work. Uh, as for Henderson signings and his sell so far, let's save that for a later pod because that would take a little bit more time to think about and, and to give you a proper answer. And, and I, I would like to answer that properly. Um, as for whether you blame Bex for everything that's gone wrong for this club, I think he definitely shoulders some responsibility there. 100%. I don't know if I would blame everything on him, but yes, he definitely showed us some responsibility. Two more, Jose. Next one comes from Roberto Rivadeneira. He says, no questions right now. I'm just going to watch season two of Ted Lasso. At least Ted is entertained. <laughs> but see, that goes to the point. See, at least he's being entertained, right? Which is something in this Inter-Miami team is not, is not doing. It's not even entertaining people, which um, is something we touched on earlier. Okay, last question, Jose. Or, well, I guess that wasn't a question, but it was, yeah, it was in our Q&A session, so it counts. Last question comes from Beef. And he says, time to bench Higuain and perhaps bench Neville for good as well. So upset by how he looked so defeated and without any sense of authority or responsibility during that post-match press conference. Jose. Um, I don't know if it's time to bench Higuain. I think it's time to put him in the right place. And if he doesn't want to be there, it's not even a time to bench him. It's time to get out, get him out of the team. Find a way. Because if he doesn't want to play where the team wants him to play, then he needs to find his own team. So I think, you know, it's a matter of placing Iwain inside the box again. Inside the box. Very easy. And the the, the other part of the question is on, on Phil, right? We already uh, right. touched on it just a, a few moments ago. So I don't think it's time to bench Iguain. I think it's time to change the system to try to improve the functioning of the team, playing players to their strengths, and seeing if that helps get more out of Iguain and more out of the attack in general. Because two goals from four games, it's not a great haul, obviously. And Iguain, he has a goal and an assist, but obviously the level of his performances haven't been haven't been what you want from a DP, and especially of a DP of his caliber. So. I think it's time for for more of a changing of the system, finding a better system that will better uh, play to his strength as well as the other t- as well as the rest of the team, 
and hopefully that will lead to a more productive uh, and and a winning side, more of a winning side. Anyway, that does it for the Q and A session. Let's leave it there. Jose, any final thoughts that you have? We sp- we've spoken for a good bit here. Yeah, I think I'm out of final thoughts. Um, <laughs> no football manager update this week. Come on, man. No football manager because I I haven't been able to play. I, I'm I've been very busy and. Um, hopefully I'm going to make some time to play next week with the Miami open early on. I may have a chance. So maybe I'll get uh, an hour or two to play some football manager. I really miss it. I'm still in preseason. I have to get out of preseason. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. This guy. <laughs> I believe it. All right. That's going to be a promise. Next time we record football, Miami total football radio, I will be out of preseason on my football manager career. Okay, you've made that promise. You better stick to it. You better stick to it. You just criticized Inter Miami for not making good on their promises. You got to make good on yours, my friend. Absolutely. Okay. We'll do that. My final thought is the main reason why we're doing this pod so early in the week is because I'm off to South America for the next eight or so days. I am going to go take in Peru's final two World Cup qualifiers in Montevideo against Uruguay. Diego Alonso, the former Inter Miami coach, We'll be there, of course, as the uh, leading Uruguay against the the Peruvian side. I hope wins or gets a gets a result over there. And then I'm headed to Lima to watch Peru Paraguay. Peru is in fifth place in World Cup uh, qualifying right now in Conmebol. They're on the brink of making it to a second consecutive World Cup after not doing so in 36 years. I want to be in the stadium for the possibility of that happening. So I am off to South America for the rest of this week and next week. But we will do a show next week previewing the game against the Houston Dynamo. I'm going to be taking my laptop as well as my microphone to to Lima and hopefully being able to record a show from the hotel or from somewhere there that uh, that works. So that's why we're doing the show so early. And hopefully, 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 next time we record, Peru is on its way to Qatar 2020. Two. Arriba Peru. Arriba Peru. And if not, it's on you. If not, it's on you. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to seeing. I mean, I'm not. I don't think I'm going to talk to him. I don't think I'm, this. I'm not going as as media. I'm going just to enjoy the games from the stands. But I'm curious to see how Diego Alonso's Uruguay looks against Peru. He's had two games so far. They've gotten off to a good start, uh, but it hasn't been against teams that have been really fighting to to make it to the World Cup. So Peru is in the fight. Peru has something to play for, so obviously it's in Montevideo and el, el Centenario, the famed Centenario. So I think it's going to make for uh, an, an incredible game, an incredible atmosphere, regardless of the, of the result. But hopefully, hopefully Peru can do what they did when I was in Colombia in January and pull out a shocking win. Hopefully, just take, hopefully. just take a sign that reads "Set Pieces," lift it up, <laughs> and uh, nice. hit, hit, Diego Alonso will know you're there. <laughs> Good. Nice one. Nice one. I like that. I like that. Maybe I'll just take a, a, a white Inter Miami jersey. I won't wear it, but I'll just hold it up and, you know, maybe maybe he'll he'll spot me in the in the crowd. By the way, the process to get tickets for the for the other game, for the game in Lima, because the demand is so high. Oof. You have to go through a drawer, a drawing, sorry. And it's, it's yeah, it's a whole thing. It's it's very difficult. The whole country wants to get into the stadium, Estadio Nacional, for that game. But anyway, if you haven't already, I will repeat it again. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Also, follow us on all our social media channels, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. That does it for this week's show. We will be back again early-ish next week. Not sure what day yet. Depends on how things play out in South America and the Wi-Fi and everything. But we will be back 
next week at some point, probably early to mid-week. So stay tuned for that. We will update you, of course, on the social media channels. For Jose Armando, I am Franco Pinizo. This is Miami Total Football Radio. And we'll talk to you guys again very soon.